So it is, uh, it is all awesome in worship from here on out in 2022. If you have known me longer than five minutes, you know this is absolutely my favorite time of year. Uh, let me count some of the ways. First, we are 70 days away from Christmas. Now, let the record show, we have brand new projectors. They just came in this week. Alex and Alex got them installed. My first image from a sermon with the new projectors is Christmas, even though it's the middle of October. So just let, that, let the record show. And before that, we have the, the four Sunday season of Advent, which is my very favorite season of the church year uh, because it prepares us for my very favorite day of the year, which of course is Christmas Eve. We are 39 days away from Thanksgiving, which is in my top four favorite days of the year. <laughs> Leading up to that Thanksgiving day, we have a two-week uh, Thanksgiving sermon series on gratitude, which I think is the perfect subject for November. Uh, we are just three weeks away from All Saints Sunday, which is one of the most sacred days of every church year. If you're new to the church, that's the day when we celebrate the saints in our lives, specifically the ones who have died in the past year. Uh, joining the great company of saints in heaven. It is always a moving and hope-filled day. And so everyone who is visiting Christ United Methodist Church for the first time today or who has recently started visiting is joining us at an incredible time of year. Every Sunday between now and the end of the year is filled with uniquely wonderful celebrations of our faith, including the three-week sermon series that we're beginning today. I love stewardship season. I should say, I have come to love stewardship season. <laughs> but uh, I'll level with you in case other folks uh, may feel this way too. Um, I did not always think that I would love stewardship season. Uh, back when I was a seminary student studying to be a pastor, I thought I was going to hate this time of year. I thought it was going to be all about budgets and fundraising and money, uh, which I thought in my head uh, would be a total beating both for me and for the congregations that I served. And it is true, of course, that we, we do talk about money this time of year, obviously, uh, because those of us who practice the spiritual discipline of generosity invest significant financial resources in this congregation we call home. And it's true that if we take the spiritual discipline seriously, we have to intentionally make it part of our personal budgets. That's, that's true. And it is true that our giving makes possible the church's budget. I, I know all of these are obvious points, but it makes sense to go ahead and get those uh, on the table right here at the beginning of stewardship season because all of that is true. But ultimately, the theology of stewardship is not about budgets or fundraising or money per se. Uh, those are all secondary to the main point. Stewardship is about our spiritual journey. It's about uh, giving back to God through the church out of a sense of gratitude for all that God has done for us. It's about treating our church like the family of faith that it's intended to be by sharing our resources to make ministry possible. It's about growing in our discipleship as followers of Jesus, which makes this kind of the perfect uh, subject for those who are brand new to Christ United Methodist Church and for those who have not yet begun the spiritual discipline of giving in their own lives, and for those of us who have long practiced this spiritual discipline, I truly believe that this is a great uh, last sermon series before the holidays begin sermon series, especially the way that we approach the subject here at Christ United Methodist Church. 
instead of focusing specifically on financial stewardship for three weeks every October, what we do is talk about our mission as a congregation and how the spiritual discipline of giving relates to our mission, how it connects to our mission. And so over these three weeks, we're talking about loving God, serving others, and transforming lives, beginning today with what we believe is the foundation for everything else that we do, both as individual Christians and as a community of faith, which is, of course, loving God. In our scripture passage for today, which is the recommended gospel lectionary text for today, Jesus um, has just talked about the coming kingdom of God. Someone has asked him about judgment day, essentially, and he's talked a little bit about that. And then he tells uh, two parables explaining how God's faithful are to be prepared for the kingdom of God. These are both parables that are unique to Luke's gospel. They only show up here in the 18th chapter. We're going to read uh, each of them in turn, one at a time. First one is Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Luke. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. That's kind of nice. The gospel authors don't always tell us what the parables are about. Here he just kind of lays it on the table. He tells us a parable about our need to pray always and not to lose heart. Verse 2, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So of the four Gospels, uh, Luke emphasizes more than any other how how central, how important the life of prayer was to Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus prays in all four of the Gospels, but it's a, it's a particular emphasis in Luke, and the implication is clearly that uh, if prayer was essential to Jesus, then it should surely be so for Jesus' followers as well. And our, our first parable ends with Jesus asking this rhetorical question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And as Luke already told us, he is specifically talking about persistence in prayer. Because those who love God pray. pray prayer is a sign of our our faithfulness. And so as we're kicking off stewardship season, as we're reflecting on our mission, uh, uh, both as a congregation and as individual Christians, I think it's worth evaluating our spiritual lives in this particular area. How rich is our prayer life? Um, How often do we pray? Do we intentionally pray at some point every day? Do we pray about particular concerns in our lives? Do we pray for God's guidance in our major decisions? If we're part of a family, how often do we pray as a family? Are we seeking to grow in our prayer life in some way? Now, I've got a confession to make on this front. Uh, Early in ministry, I was kind of intimidated by prayer. 
especially uh, praying out loud um, in front of people, which is kind of in the job description of a pastor. You kind of have to do that. Uh, but I was raised in a tradition that had set prayers for everything. There was a prayer of the church for just about every occasion. And having spent my entire life in the church, I had, I had many of those prayers memorized. So I just would recite them at the appropriate time. And so the, the notion of being called on to pray and having to extemporaneously come up with something on the spot <laughs> really intimidated me. I used to jokingly refer to this as free prayer <laughs> and I avoided it when at all possible. And when I officially became uh, a reverend, when I was commissioned as an elder in the United Methodist Church, we had a bishop who uh, in meetings and at annual conference would, would call on pastors randomly without warning to pray out loud, sometimes in front of huge crowds because he had this philosophy that he would remind us of over and over again. He, he said that, that there, should, there are two things that every Christian should be prepared to do at all times. The first is to die and the second is to pray. And I wasn't particularly interested in either one of those things, certainly not praying out loud in front of a large group of people. And so when he would look at, you know, out of the crowd, I would avoid eye contact. I'd try to hide behind the other pastors. That's a little tricky because I'm bigger than a lot of my colleagues. Now, I assure you, I have gotten over this. I no longer fear praying out loud. I'm happy to do that whenever. And that's partly because I have come to believe that prayer um, is much more about our connection with God than it is about the, the specific content of the words that we use. Which is to say, I believe that, that God cares a whole lot more about our intentional effort to build our relationship with God uh, than God does about the eloquence of whatever it is that comes out of our mouth or uh, whatever words we use in our head when we're silently praying. I mean, imagine a relationship in which you do not actually express how you're feeling or what you're thinking or what you're needing to a partner or a relative or a friend that you're with. Imagine going through life just expecting that your partner or relative or friend will know what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're needing. I mean, that relationship would probably not be all that healthy. And my wife, Whitney, uh, has to remind me of this sometimes. I tend to be an internal processor, and so every once in a while, if we're deep in some conversation, she will gently remind me, Chris, you're being kind of quiet. I need you to say words. <laughs> kind of ironic, given what I do every Sunday morning, but it's not always easy. For Christians, our spirituality is our relationship with God, or at the very least, our spirituality is the expression of our relationship with God. And in his ministry, uh, Jesus taught us that to care for that relationship, to uh, develop that relationship to begin with, and then to deepen that relationship over time, the way that we do that is through prayer. Part of our family story is that we fostered a child for a season of our lives through the Methodist Children's Home. It was the hardest thing that we've ever done, uh, and we learned lessons that I'm sure will stay with all four of us uh, the rest of our lives. And I'm sure it won't surprise you that in our family, at every meal, we, we say grace. And while sometimes we free pray, uh, more often than not, we say the prayer that our kids learned back in preschool. I'm sure you all know this one. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Y'all know that one, right? That's an appropriate prayer at all times, no matter how old or young you are, no matter how big or small the gathering is, it's always appropriate. 
Well, this child that we were fostering um, did not seem to come from a religious home, and he wasn't sure quite what to make of our family's pre-meal ritual. And he, he was not interested in holding hands. <laughs> he looked pretty suspicious about the whole thing. But after a week or so, one evening at dinner, we started to say grace. We did our thing, and we were caught off guard uh, when he interrupted us. Stop, stop, stop. He said, I'll do it. And he folded his hands, and he closed his eyes, and he very solemnly prayed, God is great. God is good. God is looking for our food. <laughs> and we still pray it that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I surely hope that he does too, wherever he is. Because the connection is much more important than the content. All right, let's finish the passage with this second parable. This one's a doozy, 18 verses 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. I mean, yikes, that's quite an introduction. So he's got certain people in mind. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, that's a religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. (laughs) That's a terrible, terrible prayer. Don't ever do that. I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. (laughs) I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. There's a lot going on in this parable. It's not that many pla- there's not that many places in the New Testament where the tax collector is the hero of the story, but this is one of those. The fundamental question that Jesus is challenging us with here is whether or not we put our trust in ourselves, is whether we put our trust in ourselves or we put our trust in God. And that's not as uncommon a question that needs to be raised as we might think. Do we, do we trust ourselves or do we trust God? And he completes the parable with, with one of the foundational lessons of his entire ministry. He says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And in the Christian tradition, the way that we do that, the way that we keep ourselves right-sized, the way that we stay humble is to, to practice the spiritual disciplines, to do those things that over and over again remind us of the two great truths that form the starting place of any spirituality, and certainly Christian spirituality. First, there is a God. Second, it's not me. The spiritual discipline, the spiritual disciplines that remind us of that great truth include public worship with the community of faith, like we're doing here, ongoing Bible study, of course, Constancy in prayer, persistence in prayer, like he talked about in that first parable. And yes, as we kick off stewardship season, those spiritual disciplines include financial generosity, giving back to God a portion of what God has entrusted to us. And I don't know about you, 
But I've always thought that this is the, the hardest one for us to practice. Or, uh, I'll, I'll speak for myself, <laughs> it is the last one that I took seriously. I was at a training seminar for uh, new church planters back at the beginning of ministry. This is, this is um, when I really started to have a change of heart on this particular issue. And the presenter touched on this point specifically. Uh, he, was, he was focusing on welcoming newcomers to the faith, um, those who didn't have any particular religious upbringing, certainly not Christian upbringing, people who were just learning what it means to be followers of Jesus. And he said, look, let's just be really blunt about this. The last thing to be converted to Christianity is usually a person's wallet. And at first, I was offended by that. That hurt my feelings. But I thought, yeah, yeah, you got a point. And I wonder if that's because the world in general and uh, our society in particular tends to instill in us a, a scarcity mindset. You know what I mean by that? Whatever we give to the church means um, less that we'll have for our other needs and wants. And sometimes we are reluctant to grow in this area of our discipleship because we worry about having enough for ourselves. But the thing is, giving is as ancient a spiritual discipline as we have in our faith tradition. It goes all the way back to, to Abraham. Biblically speaking, giving is as old as prayer. And the Pharisee in our second parable, he gets the practices right. Public worship, prayer, giving a tenth of his income. He knows the rules, so-called, and uh, he does those. The problem is his heart. He trusts in and is convinced of his own righteousness and is pretty sure of the unrighteousness of everybody else, especially that tax collector over there. The challenge of this story for us, I think, is, is first to be sure that our hearts are right, to love God, that's what we're talking about today, to trust God, to exalt God and not ourselves. And the fact that we're all here today is a pretty good indication that we all love God wherever else we may be on our spiritual journeys. And then the next step is to be sure that our practices reflect where our heart is. Public worship, prayer, and regarding the specific theology of stewardship season, practicing the spiritual discipline of giving, whether we're already giving a tenth of our income or we're intentionally growing in our giving towards that goal. And I personally uh, am grateful that we set aside this time of year, every year, to, to prayerfully consider what our giving for the coming year will be. If you're not an arts person, you may not recognize the name Lillian Bayless. Uh, she was a, a visionary in the British arts world in the early 20th century, so a, a, a century ago or so. And she was a big deal. She help, helped found the companies that would become um, Britain's Royal National Theater and the English National Opera and the Royal Ballet. So she knew what she was doing. And she was also a woman of faith. As, as in many arts and nonprofit organizations, um, finances were frequently tight in the uh, organizations she was trying to build. And, and Lillian Bayless was not shy about seeking God's help in this very practical matter. It said that members of the company were um, frequently surprised to walk into her office and find her on her knees in prayer. At one particularly stressful moment, she was, she was overheard to say, uh, oh Lord, 
please send me a good tenor. <laughs> but cheap. <laughs> I'm sure God appreciated her persistence. I'm sure God appreciated her checking in on even the practical matters of life. Friends, the specific content of our prayers is far less important than the intentional connection those prayers foster with the God whom we love. So as we, as we journey through stewardship season in preparation for Celebration Sunday on October 30th, may each of us prayerfully seek God's guidance about this fundamentally important area of our discipleship. Amen.